grant that your church, following the example of your prophet Martin Luther King, may resist oppression in the name of your love and may secure for all your children the blessed liberty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. This weekend, as we pause to celebrate the life and legacy of Dr. King, many of us will do service projects or walk in a parade or run a 5K race, clean up or park, or, as I like to do, listen to his I Have a Dream speech on YouTube to celebrate and remember the march towards change that he led. As important as these activities are, For this celebration or observance to have lasting meaning, we must do more than just these things. We must locate ourselves within the continuing journey towards the beloved community that Dr. King envisioned. Peter Gomes, the great preacher who served for years as a minister at Harvard's Memorial Chapel, said that one of the invitations that he welcomed the least was to preach on a college campus at a Martin Luther King Day service. It was not because of his lack of regard for Dr. King. Instead, it was that in January of each year, he was reminded of how far removed we are from those great events, how much remains to be done, and how little will there seems to be to do it. In his book, The Scandalous Gospel of Jesus, Gomes writes... How naive it seems now to imagine that there was a moment within the lifetimes of many of us here today when it was possible to think of redeeming social sin by moral courage and to do so under the leadership of a Christian minister who believed that the gospel of Jesus Christ had social, moral, and political implications. Today, here in church, we consider the implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ within the context of the season of Epiphany. During this season, we look for ways in which God reveals God's self through the work and teachings of Jesus. And today's gospel provides a gateway through which we can glimpse something of the heart of God. Mary, Jesus, and his disciples were at a wedding in Cana, and the host ran out of wine. My niece was married last summer, and her reception was at a vineyard. And I can't imagine the panic that would have ensued if somebody had gotten up to say that we were out of wine. And even more so if somebody had turned to the priest, to the celebrant, and said, well, can't you do something about this? Well, fortunately for the guests in Cana, Jesus saved the day by producing enough for everyone. And on the surface, this seems like a simple miracle story, but it's really much more than that. It's a metaphor for the kingdom of God. Let me provide just a little background to this story. First, this is the opening scene of Jesus' public ministry, according to John. And as an inaugural story, it sets the tone for the entire gospel and tells us what is central to the life and teachings of Jesus. Second, John says that the wedding occurred on the third day, a clear reference to the resurrection. 
So we read this story knowing that it's about resurrected life. The third marriage was a rich metaphor in early Christianity. We heard it referenced in our reading from Isaiah 62. The marriage of God and Israel, the mystical marriage between an individual and God, the church as the bride of Christ, all describe the relationship between God and humans. So with these things in mind, let's also remember that the people who would have been present at this wedding and reception would have been poor. Weddings, which often lasted for many days, provided a welcome release from the grinding poverty that characterized life in the time of Jesus. For a short time, the guests could put aside their worries and just enjoy themselves. So you can imagine then what it was like for the guests to learn that there was no more wine. Running out of wine would have sent the statement that there was a limit to the generosity of the host. Or perhaps even that the host himself just didn't have enough to provide for his guests. It's true that when the wine ran out, Jesus performed his first miracle. But what he really did was to provide an extravagant luxury for a poor community. By including this story at the beginning of his gospel, John tells us that the whole story of Jesus is like a wedding. A wedding at which the wine never runs out regardless of who you are regardless of how much money you have, regardless of the color of your skin, regardless of where you come from, there is an abundance in the kingdom of God for every single human being. From his very first act, Jesus brings attention to those who live on the margins, casting a light on their humanity and their human suffering. The real message of the miracle at Cana It's not that Jesus can perform miracles. It's that all are worthy of God's provision, that God's table is open to all people, and that God's abundance never runs out. This, of course, is good news to those who suffer from oppression. However, it's a challenge to those of us who already enjoy the abundance that surrounds us. It's a call to each of us to look around us and to consider what God might see when God looks out upon this world. Professor of Morals Jonathan Walton calls this looking at the world through a lens of love, which he says will compel us to look for and to see those with whom God aligns, the marginalized and the victimized. When we look at the world in this way, if we take our commitment as disciples of Jesus Christ seriously, we will have no choice but to act, to shape our lives in ways that turn water into wine for those who go without. This is agape love, demonstrating our love for God by seeking the good of others. Benjamin Elijah Mays, who was president of Morehouse for 27 years, used to say, the love of God and the love of people are one love. And it's clear that Dr. King, who was one of his students, took these words to heart because he understood love as something expressed in intentional acts of care and compassion. 
51 years after Dr. King's death, his vision of what's on the other side of that mountain has not yet come to full fruition. Yes, while some things have changed, many have stayed the same. Race-based discrimination and income inequality are as real today as they have ever been. Emmaus House, where I have the privilege of working, serves people who live in the south side of Atlanta, in the historically underserved neighborhoods of Peoplestown, Pittsburgh, Mechanicsville, and beyond. And in those predominantly African-American neighborhoods, almost half of the population struggle, struggle under the burden of poverty. Parents struggle to feed their families. The vast majority of children leave the third grade without being able to read at grade level. Many adults strive to make better lives for themselves, but they struggle to overcome the weight and burden of generational poverty. Martin Luther King Day is indeed a day, a weekend, to celebrate his legacy and the legacies of those who stood with him. It's a day to rejoice in the abundance of God's loving embrace for all of humanity and to remember that at God's table, the wine never runs out. But it's also a day to realize that we cannot wait for another man named King or Lewis or Young to lead us to the promised land. That job falls to us. A friend told me on Friday that when the struggle for social change frustrates her, she sometimes cries out to God, God, why don't you do something? And she said that the answer that she gets in response from God is, I did do something. I created you. God calls each of us to pick up the mantle of justice and to be the hands and feet of Christ in our world. And God equips us with the same love that compelled Jesus to provide wine to some poor wedding guests and the same compassion that compelled Christ to stand up to the forces of evil armed only with that same love. Now, I'm not suggesting that this is easy. Talking about racial inequities or poverty or other ways that people suffer is hard and it challenges who we are as human beings. But it's being hard does not change the commitment that we make as disciples of Jesus. So here are just a couple of suggestions to take with you this morning. First, embrace the call. Embrace the call to see the world through a lens of love. Seek to see the world as God sees it. Second, discover your passion if you haven't already. What human need breaks your heart and compels you to need to go deeper? What do you see when you look through the lens of love that cries out for your attention? And third, as Brian Stevenson says, get proximate with those who suffer. We need to be close to the people with whom God aligns, those who experience poverty and discrimination. There are many ways to get proximate. And here at All Saints, we get proximate through our, our refugee ministry, through covenant community, through threads. As a diocese, we get proximate through Church of the Common Ground or Holy Comforter or Emmaus House that was birthed during the Civil Rights Movement and for 52 years has worked towards justice and race equity 
on the south side of Atlanta. At Emmaus House, we provide literacy-based summer programming for children, after-school support for teenagers, food for families through our pantry, and many other supports. And it's just one way that our diocese seeks to share the abundant wine that Jesus offers to us all. However you do it, remember that we, you and I, are recipients of that wine that never runs out. And that all that God asks of us is that we share that wine with those who need it. Amen.